Chapter 6 of The Campfire Girls Amid the Snows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth McKinley, Spokane, Washington. The Campfire Girls Amid the Snows by Margaret Vandercook. A Black Sheep. The one month in the winter camp had more change in Nan Graham than the entire preceding summer, and the influence exerted by Rose Dyer, in so short a time greater than all Miss McMurtry's conscientious efforts. So does one character often affect another, so by a strange law of nature do extremes meet. Unconsciously Nan had always cherished just such an ideal as Rose represented. This uncouth young girl, untrained in even the simple things of life, with her curious mixed parentage of an Italian peasant mother and a ne'er-do-well father, who, nevertheless, was of good old England stock, wished to be like the lovely southern girl, who had nearly every grace and charm, and had had every possible social advantage. Yet in spite of the contrast, Nad did wish to be like her, and though even to herself there seemed little chance of her succeeding, did try to mold herself after Rose's pattern. The other girls quickly noted her attempts to soften her coarse voice, to give up the use of ugly expressions that had to annoy them, and even to wear her clothes and to fix her thick black hair in a soft coil at the back of her neck, as their guardian did. But fortunately they were kind enough not to laugh, nor even to let Nan know that they were watching her. The girl had a certain beauty of her own with her dark coloring, and sometimes sullen, sometimes eager face. Her figure, however, was short and square. Indeed, she showed no trace of her New England blood, and bore no resemblance to the graceful Rose. However, as the days went by, Nan was growing to be more like the other campfire girls in her manner and behavior, and was probably learning more than any one of them since she had fewer opportunities before. Miss Dyer could hardly help suspecting Nan's devotion, for although she was still faithfully to Polly as her first friend in the club, always she was at Rose's side ready to do anything she wished, and always accepting her suggestions in the best spirit. It was, therefore, the new campfire guardian who was responsible for Nan's not separating herself from her family as a young girl would like to have done during this time of her effort of self-improvement. For Rose knew that the whole effort of the campfire organization was to make the girls more useful, to give better and happier service to the people they loved. Therefore, because of Rose's advice, and after a long talk with her in which Nan explained the conditions of her own home, it was decided that the young girl should spend every Saturday with her mother helping her with the work of the home and the care of the children, and trying to make practical the lessons she was learning at the campfire. These days at home were not easy ones, and the girls were accustomed to seeing Nan come back at night tired and cross, or at least dispirited. Her mother had no interest in her efforts. She was opposed to her oldest daughter's living away from home if she were earning no money, and had no desire to have her house disturbed by Nan's vigorous weekly efforts at cleaning. Indeed, except for Nan's father, she would never have been permitted to live at the cabin, where her share of the expenses were now being paid by Rose Dyer. 
He, however, had a kind of sympathy with the girl's efforts, and a slowly awakening sense that his daughter had the right to wish to be a lady. Though he might not actually help her, at least no one should stand in her way. So at his command Nan had been allowed this winter with the girls at the cabin, and was also to do what she liked without interference when she returned home on Saturdays. Personally, he liked the smell of soap and water, which her visits left about his shack, and greatly enjoyed the homemade bread and the weekly pumpkin pie, which was always cooked especially for him. But Nan's most serious opposition came not from her idle, but fairly good-natured mother, but from her older brother Antonio. For Anthony, as he preferred to call, having been given the Italian name, he was less Italian than any other member of the family. Indeed, he was a good-looking American boy with hazel eyes and a fair skin, and except for his curly dark hair and a certain unconscious grace, not different in appearance from other American boys. Yet he shared the family weaknesses and had refused to go to school for the past two years. Indeed, he would not work at anything for a sufficiently long enough time to make it count, so that probably because he was a boy, and a fairly capable one if he had been more ambitious, his present reputation was now the worst in the family. He appeared also to resent Nan's new friendships and new efforts with the greatest possible bitterness. On the Saturday morning, when Polly and Betty started driving toward town in their errand, about a quarter of a mile from the cabin, they came unexpectedly upon Nan. She was trudging steadfastly along with the bundle of clothing which Rose had given her for the younger children under her arm, looking resolute and yet none too cheerful. Before catching up with her, the two girls sighed and then smiled at one another. They had wanted this drive together without anyone else and had waited until Saturday morning so that Betsy's pony, Firestar, would be free for her use and they could have the small sleigh which had been well mended since the accident. Firestar and a pony belonging to Sylvia Wharton had made the trips back and forth to school each day, and a return journey was too much for them except for some special emergency. But the girls had particularly wanted to discuss certain features of their campfire play without interruption. But now the sight of Nan's faithful figure awoke their sympathy. "'For goodness sake, squeeze into the middle along with us, Nan,' Betty invited. "'How selfish you must have thought Polly and me this morning, when we were planning right before you to drive into town and never said a word about taking you as far as your home. The fact is, we both had something so important on our minds, or at least the thing seemed important to me, so that really we forgot about you.' The girls then said nothing of their errand while they were driving along the road, where the snow was now beaten down into a hard, firm crust. But when they had set Nan down in front of the ramshackled hut at the edge of the village along served as her home, Betty leaned out, remarking confidentially, "'I'm sorry we can't come back for you, Nan, but I am great to get my box of jewelry from the bank and take it to our cabin, so that I feel we ought to get back as soon as we can.' There was no point in Betty's making this confession at this special time, and Polly disapproved of it. They had taken no one into their confidence except Molly, and, of course, their guardian. However, since Nan had been falsely suspected of stealing her money, Betty had never failed of showing her faith in her. 
and Nan understood this as she stood for several moments watching the pony and sleigh out of sight and hearing. Polly was wearing a crimson felt hat with a small black quill in it and a long red coat, and Betty a sealskin cap with a knot of her favorite blue velvet on one side and a fur coat. Nan could not help feeling the contrast between their lives and hers as she stepped later into their crowded and untidy kitchen. Nevertheless, their friendship helped her to bear the fact that her brother Anthony, whom she loved best in her family, would not even speak to her. Indeed, she thought of the campfire club sustained her through the long and especially trying day. A slight flurry of snow fell during the morning, so that the four younger children would not go out of doors, but kept getting under Nan's feet while she tried to clean. Her mothers objected to each thing she did, and Anthony, loafing in a corner smoking cigarettes, tried his best to make her lose her temper. At lunch, Mr. Graham, who usually came home then and made things easier for Nan, did not return so that by the time the dishes were washed the girl had given up any attempt to do any further cleaning and turned to her usual Saturday baking. This was usually more appreciated by her family, because a possible failure if she were too much interrupted, Mrs. Graham then removed the younger children to another room, leaving Nan alone with her brother. He did not torment her any further at first. But seeing that he was unusually moody and out of sorts, his sister turned to him. "'What is it, Tony?' she required good-naturedly, ignoring what had passed between them. The boy shrugged his shoulders. "'Wasn't good enough to be elected a Boy Scout,' he sneered. "'Seems like the fellows around here say they didn't like my record and wanted their camps kept up to the mark. Of course, I don't care anything about joining, but they might have given a fellow a chance. Give a man a black name, I say, Nan, he broke off suddenly. Couldn't you lend me some money, say five dollars or so? Nan stared at him in surprise. Anthony must know that she hadn't a cent in the world to call her own, and that she was having her expenses paid by Miss Dyer at the cabin. Of course she meant some day to repay Rose, Betty, and Polly for all they did and had done for her, but it might take a number of years. "'Couldn't you borrow the money from some of your rich friends?' he demanded, irritated and ashamed at his sister's silence. And then, unexpectedly seeming to feel a better impulse, he came closer to the table where Nan was, now mixing her pie-crust and watching her quietly for a few moments. In a measure he realized his own right to be a gentleman, and resented the fact that they were everywhere looking down upon, and that Nan's efforts to better herself had to be made outside her own family. "'There ain't no use your trying to make something of yourself, Nan,' he said more kindly than he had spoken before during the day. "'This campfire business don't mean anything real. These girls maybe are letting you live with them, and treating you fairly well.' But once you're all grown up, maybe they'll say, How do you do to you on the street? But they won't ever ask you into their houses or be your friends. I bet they didn't want you driving into town and being seen on the street with them today. I was watching and saw them set you down at your own door pretty prompt. It wasn't because they were ashamed of me, Nan defended promptly. And yet, although she knew that what she had said was true, she could not help feeling both sore and ashamed. 
for the other campfire girls really had the right to feel differently toward her when her own family would do nothing to make themselves respected and when she found it so hard to struggle with so much against her for an instant nan felt as if she might have to give up but only for an instant for she raised her flushed face and her brothers saw the tears standing in her large dark eyes the girls would have been perfectly willing to take me into the village she explained more quietly only they knew i had to work at home and they were going on an important errand to get some money or jewelry of betty's from the bank before it closed they wanted to get back to the cabin before dark or else betty said they would have stopped by and taken me home with them the moment after these words passed nan's lips she regretted them not because she believed any possible harm could come of them but because she remembered that betty and polly had both told her no one else had been told of their intention and she did not wish to be the one to betray their confidence please don't tell anybody I, what i've just said she begged beseechingly but already her brother was lounging away as though he had grown tired of the confinement of the kitchen and apparently had not even heard her but when nan repeated her request he returned oh certainly i won't tell nan who on earth would i mention such a silly thing to anyway it seems to me you sunrise campfire girls think every little thing you do and say of importance to all the world and chapter six recording by elizabeth mckinley